Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, I've often said as a pastor, one of the greatest things that I get to enjoy is the relationship that God gives me with a congregation, with different individuals within the congregation. You know, I love to preach, I love to teach, I love those kinds of things. But it's also awesome to get to experience relationship together. That's one of the reasons some years ago when an educational uh, institution talked to me about going on staff, I said, you know what, I just love the local church. I love being able to be with people. I love being able to be in relationship with one another. So I love relationships. You've heard me mention that before. But I tell you what, there is also a great relationship that God gives us that is a blessing like no other, a relationship that we find in the context of family, right? When God gives you a family, when God gives you a spouse, when God gives you parents, when God gives you children, when God gives you family, you can experience much joy. Amen? I know there can also be frustration. I figured I'd get much louder amens on that one, especially as it relates to children sometime. I know that there can be frustration. I know there can be difficulty, but... How blessed are we that God allows us to experience the relationship of physical family? Not just the spiritual family we have, but God gives us physical families in which we are to live. And it's awesome when the families are living in a harmonious, happy kind of way. As a matter of fact, George Bernard Shaw, a playwright from some time ago, said a happy family is but an earlier heaven. In other words, you are beginning to experience heaven itself when you see your family functioning the way it should in a moment of joy and happiness. I am grateful that God left us some instructions on how our families can look happy and holy. I'm proud that God gives us some instruction. Just as I was talking to the Bristers a moment ago, we believe that the Bible is the foundation of our families. Would you agree with that? Those of you in the gathering, I hope you're a little more awake than this bunch is today. The Bible is the foundation of our instruction of who we are, and God helps us. And I'm going to tell you, I need to go to the manual. I need to go to the handbook pretty often because there are moments in my life, even as I relate to the family, that I say, okay, God, I need, I need a word. I need you to help me here. I need you to speak to me. And God will take his word and use it in the context of our families to help us. I want you to see how practical it is as you look at Ephesians 6 this morning. These four verses that speak to our relationship with one another. Beginning in verse 1 it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So here's Paul writing, and he just lays it out so practically. And remember, it's in the context of submission. Back in chapter 5, verse 21, that we looked at some weeks ago, he basically was talking about how we were to have mutual respect and mutual submission toward one another. In other words, that we are to live in a state of humility 
with everybody we come in contact with. This morning here in this place, you come in contact with somebody, there's a sense of humility and submission that you're to have. And then he begins to flesh it out how there are certain areas where you see submission and you also see leadership. You see how the family comes together. He had dealt with the marriage relationship as we talked about last week. In verse 22 through verse 33 of chapter 5, he had dealt with the marriage relationship. Why? Because the marriage relationship is the primary relationship within the family. Let me hear you, and let me say this again to you. Before you think about the parent-child relationship, you need to think about your spousal relationship. You need to understand, this needs, this needs to be spoken this morning. Your spouse is much more important to you than your child. Did I just rock some of you? You know, my kids oftentimes, they come to me and they say, Dad, which, one is, which one's your favorite? And I say, which one do you think? And they all start guessing and they all start kind of claiming themselves and that kind of stuff. I said, you think, that, you think that's my, you think you are my favorite child? You think that's my favorite? You really do. And they say, yeah, yeah. And they'll tell you what I say oftentimes. I mean, I say this, I say it all the time, actually. I say, I'll tell you who my favorite is. My favorite is your mama. Your mama comes before you any day. And I want them to hear that. Because it is important that there is that foundation of the marriage. That the husband and the wife, they love one another. And that they are trying to follow Christ together. That is the most important earthly relationship that you can have. And I think that's the reason Paul addressed that before he addressed the relationship of parent-child. But now that he's addressed it again here in Ephesians 5, he had moved in Ephesians 6 to the relationship of parent-child. He moves into this other wonderful relationship. And I do like this about it. Never noticed it before. Paul assumed there would be children in the church when this letter was written. Think about it. This letter was written in order to be read to the church. So he expected, he expected that a church would be made up of all kinds of generations. He expected a church would have young people in it. And I'll just say again, we are blessed to have young couples and children in our church. There are too many churches today that are beginning to see those generations migrate to the world and away from the church. And I am grateful we still have young couples and children. I am grateful that today this letter can be just as applicable as it was in the day it was written. But Paul says to them, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Let, let me give you, I'm going to give you two truths, okay? The first one this morning I want to give to you children. Children, obey them, don't dismay them. Think about it. Children, you are to obey them, not dismay them. Obey. The word here for obey is a word which means to listen or to hear under. To hear under. Literally, if you were to break it down, the word obey in the original language means to hear under. The idea is that obedience begins with listening. It begins with hearing. Now, I don't know about you, but th this speaks to my family. I mean, there are times when I need my kids, listen, hear 
You cannot obey until you have heard. You cannot do what you are supposed to do until you hear the instruction. So here, in this passage, you as a child, you need to condition yourself to hear what your parents are saying. Listen to what your parents are saying. Now, in my studies, when I was looking through and I found this word, again, in the original language that, that means, or we translate obey, it can also be translated in other areas, open the door. Open the door. So if you're obeying, what are you doing? You're opening the door. You're opening it to your family to, to speak, your parents to speak to you. You are to obey. God has placed your parents in an authoritative position over your life. That's what the scripture says. And it's, listen, as long as you live under their roof, they are the divine authorities over you to tell you what you should be doing. I thought I'd have a whole lot of amens today with some parents. No matter what the world teaches you, you as a child are to submit yourselves to the, your parents and the leadership that God has given to them. Obviously, like any other place of authority, if your parent tells you to do something that is ungodly or immoral, you have a moral responsibility to say no. But I'm going to tell you that just because they tell you to take a bath or take your medicine does not mean you have a ground of moral responsibility to say no. We, as children, are to submit ourselves to our parents. As long as we live under their roofs, we are to obey what they say. And notice what Paul, how he reasons this. In verse 1 he says, for this is right. I love the way he just gets to the point on this. He doesn't try to like give you all types of explanations. Oh, he'll flesh it out in a moment. But he doesn't really give you like 20 reasons why you should obey. He just simply says, this is the right thing to do. You know, folks, sometimes you ought to just do something because it's right. I know our culture is kind of like mixed up on this right and wrong stuff. But what's right and what has been right is still right. And I don't need all kinds of explanation. If that's what's right, then that's what we should do. We should simply say, this is right. The way Paul will say it to the Colossians. Remember, Colossians is a companion book of the book of Ephesians. Written around the same time when Paul's in house uh, arrest there in Rome. He writes the book of Colossians and he says to them, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's another way of saying it just, it's what God intends. It's what God desires. It's what God favors. You are to do it because it is right. You are to listen. You are to obey. I would even say to you that you do it because it's right, and that's really the only reason you need. But one of the other reasons I would just suggest to you that you ought to listen to your parents is because, theoretically at least, your parents know more about Scripture and what the Lord wants in your life than you do at this point. Theoretically, they do. I will say this. They know more about life than you do. 
They know more of the experience than you do. I hate to admit to you this. They've probably been there and done some of those same things. They know what those mess-ups are like because they messed up. Or they saw others. They have the experience. This is what, this is what Solomon says. And he writes the book of Proverbs. I mean, you could go back and you could read through the book of Proverbs and you could see so much about the instruction of children and, and how we are to instill wisdom in them. But in the very beginning, in the very beginning of this book, Solomon will say, My son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be graceful, a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. In other words, he said, You listen. You hear what your dad has to say. You hear what your mom has to say. And then, again, if you read through the book of Proverbs, it's very practical, right? I mean, that's what a proverb is, a general truth. It's very practical. And what Solomon is saying is, this is what I've seen. This is what I know. This is how I can communicate wisdom to you. It may be hard for you to believe, but your parents really do know more than you do. Okay, let, let's say this. L let's, say, let's say that you as a child, in your heart, say, no, 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 no. I know more than they do. There's no doubt I know more. I mean, have you seen my mom or dad do calculus lately? I know more than they do. Well, let me just remind you of this example. Even if you think you know more than they do, you are still called to submit to their obedience, to what they say to you. How do I know that? I look at the life of Jesus, right? Jesus knew more than his earthly parents. All of us could agree. Jesus knew more than his earthly parents. But what did he do? He submitted himself to his earthly parents. Even though he knew more than they did. So I just say to you, I don't think you know more than your parents. But even if you say you do know more than your parents, you are still under the obligation to obey what your parents say. Obey them, don't dismay them. Paul goes on to speak of that commandment of the Old Testament. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with your promise, that it may be well with you and you may, be, you may live long on the earth. Obedience is an action you take. Honor, respect, is an attitude that you have toward your parents. It is holding them in high regard. It is esteeming them in their position, father and mother. I'm going to show you in a moment where I think this is something that lasts all of your life. Obedience, I think, the first part of it is I understand scriptures. I look at this. You obey them while you are under their roof. You honor them all of your life. Again, I'm going to show you that in a moment of where Jesus would speak of the honor that we are to have toward our elderly parents. But let me encourage you as parents. I'm going to get to you in a moment. But let me encourage you as parents of being people who are honorable and are easy to respect. If your children are to honor and respect you, you ought to be people of honor and respect yourselves. And you ought to do everything you can. You ought to live for the Lord. You ought to seek Him. You ought to follow Him. 
so that you will be respectful people and that it will be easy for them to give respect to you. I'm going to step a little bit out of Scripture here. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to step just a little bit. I think there is a connection, but a little bit out of Scripture and just say this to those parents who are here. You need to do everything you can, again, to be honorable and respectful. You need to do everything you can to help these children when they have gone out, when they have created a new family unit. Remember what chapter 5, verse 31 says? That a man will leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two will become one flesh, right? There's a new family begun. You as parents ought to do everything you can to encourage that new family unit. That means, I'm going to say it very clearly, you need to stay out of their business sometimes. You need to give them space. Do you know how much our young married couples are going through right now? And how much stress is on them? They don't need you as a parent coming into their life and causing more stress. You need to be encouragers. Leslie and I, some time ago, we said, okay, well, God, you got to work on us right now because we can see that we could be problematic in our uh, future in-laws' lives. God, you, you work on us now. Help us to be people who are understanding. Help us to be people who would give our kids space so that they could do what they need to do. I don't need to add stress to my kids' life as they are starting their own families. Man, I'm going to get personal right now. It's about to, get, about to get real in here. But Mamas, your kids don't have to be at that one Christmas holiday, Christmas Eve, just because that's the way it's always been done. When do most issues happen in the marriage? The first arguments? At the holidays. The holidays. Because one parent's wanting this kid to come over here and this other parent, the other in-law, they want over here. Don't do that to them. You be the parents who say, you know what? We can work on this. We'll have a time. We'll work it out. This is what needs to be done. If they are to honor and respect you, you need to be people who are honorable and respectful, even of those young couples. But again, children, I think this respect and honor goes throughout all of your life. It's not just while you're under their roof. Why would I say that? Well, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees that had their own traditions. And in Mark chapter 7, he said this to them. He said, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift of God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Let me explain just a moment what this means. You know what the Pharisees had come up with? The Pharisees had come up with this opportunity where people could give to the Lord. Well, that sounds good. And what they would do is they would call this Corban. That's the word that was used. It's actually in the Hebrew. They would use the Corban. What they would do is they would say, Okay, God, I want to give you all my land. So I'm going to give it to you. 
to be deferred. You're going to get it later. But it's been placed under Corbin. In other words, it is under this vow, it is under this commitment, and it's yours. So let's say, as Jesus is talking here, that mother and dad, they're in a destitute situation. They have no place to live, maybe. It's bad. So mom and dad come to their son or their daughter, or their son in this case, and would say, I need some help. And you know what the son would do? The son would say, well, I would if I could. But you know all this property right now, I've given to God. Now, I, he's still using it, by the way. That's how they did this. He would still use the property. It would still be his. It wasn't. He was going to be given. But I, I've said I was going to give it to the Lord, so I can't help you out. You see how Jesus said, you've taken your traditions and you've missed the commandment of honoring and respecting your parents? You should have helped your mom and dad out. Hey, children, you don't forget this. They took care of many years of your room and board. You are to honor and respect them all of your life. And that's what Jesus was saying in Mark chapter 7. He said the Pharisees had come up with these neat little traditions to try to get away from Fulfilling the command of honoring and respecting. Honor and respect. He says, honor your father and mother that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. He said this is the, really the first command with such a promise of a quantitative and qualitative life. So children, children, obey them. Don't dismay them. And now to you parents. And I love this part. Parents. Make them, but don't break them. Make them obey, but don't break their spirit and who they are. Make them obey. You are parents. You have been given God-ordained authority. God has called you to fulfill that in making them obey. James Boyce says the obligation is not merely on the side of the child who must obey, but also on the side of the parent who must enforce obedience. This is because the parent stands as God in relationship to the child. To teach the child to obey the parent is to teach the child to obey God. To allow the child to defy and disobey the parent is to teach the child to defy and disobey God with all of its obvious consequences. But I love my kids. If we love our children too much to require them to do what is right, then we have not really loved them at all, Brian Chappell said. We've not loved them enough. You are to make your children obey. Now, I know this is difficult, isn't it? I mean, it can be difficult. I tell you, sometimes I just get tired. You ever get tired? Never get tired? You look pretty tired this morning. <laughs> Somebody gets tired. I told Leslie the other day, I said, Les, I went to the Lord and I told him, I said, Lord, I've always given you my kids. Like, you know, we always did the parent-child dedication, Lord. We always have, Lord. And all of them are really yours. They really are. But this last one, that's all you. <laughs> Don't have the energy. 
don't have the know-how. I just, no, no, it just, that she's yours, and whatever happens, that's you. That's you right there. You get tired. Everybody does. But you and I still have a responsibility to make our children obey. What we're seeing in our culture today is even those who are Christian parents are not making their children obey. Three times we begged them to do something. Then we began to say, if you'll do this, this is what we'll do for you. If that is what we're teaching them in the parent-child relationship, do you not see that carrying over in their God-believer relationship as well? You and I need to teach our children what obedience is. Even those who would say, who would say, well, you know, for example, church. You know, my kids, I just, I want them to find their own way. I'm not going to force them to come to church. Don't want them to do that. Do you force them to do their math homework? As a matter of fact, do you force them to understand what math is? Do you teach them that 2 plus 2 is 4? I bet most of you do. We live in a town that is really that really esteems education, and rightly so. But if you would teach them to do that, why would you not teach them about spiritual matters? Well, they just don't like it. They don't like church sometimes. Do they always like taking a bath? Your kids do. They always do. I've had a couple in particular, and I'm going to call their names, but... They just didn't like to take a bath. But I didn't say, well, I'm going to let them do whatever they want to do. They need to make up their mind about bath time. They need to decide if a bath is good for them in the days to come. No, because I care about you. I want them to have a bath when they come in your presence. You do too. What I'm saying to you, we must teach them obedience. John Piper talks about this hands-off parenting, that laissez-faire parenting. And he says, laissez-faire parenting does not produce gracious, humble children. It produces, and I hate to be frank, this is John Piper's words, not me. It produces brats. They are neither fun to be around nor happy themselves. They are demanding and insolent. Their freedom is not a blessing to them or to others. They are free the way a boat without a rudder is free. They are victims of their own whims. And sooner or later, these whims will be crossed. And that will spell misery, he says. We need to teach them obedience. We need to teach them to be obedient to authorities that God has put in place. To the government. We need to teach them to obey governmental officials, to obey that which is right. We're to teach them to obey legal authorities. We're to teach them to obey. Oh, this is going to get close. We're going to teach them to obey educational authorities. I'm just going to say this because Leslie's nervous because she's a teacher, right? But you and I, we need to teach our kids to respect their teachers. I don't know what's happened in our culture today. 
You and I are not to run every time something happens to try to bail them out. Now, I know that's what part of it is. But we need to teach our children to respect those in authority above them. Parents who do not teach their children to obey God's appointed authorities prepare them for a life out of step with God's Word, a life out of step with the very gospel they desire to emphasize. So what do you do? You train them. You train them. Notice what it says. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The word training or discipline, it means a systematic training. Then in other words, you are very intentional in the way you are training your children to obey. You're training them in the Lord Jesus Christ. I said earlier that they are to listen. If they are to listen, that means you are to speak. You are to speak into their lives. You are to help them to see. You are to train them. We give so much emphasis to training our children in certain areas, academic, sports, whatever else. We give so much emphasis. But yet we should give emphasis to training them in the Lord. The word train here also means to correct wrong. When we see something that is wrong, we correct them. We train them systematically. Again, many of you will invest much of your time in training your kids in playing sports. Let's say playing baseball or softball, which is fine. I love it. Did you see what the Strohs did last night, by the way? Yeah? Yeah, no Nats fans here, right? No? It makes me feel a lot better about what I just said then. Astros, go Astros. I'm all for sports and those kinds of things. But listen to me. You ought to train. If you're going to train your child to keep his eye on the ball, you need to make sure you're also training your child to keep his eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is much more important to them. Invest in them. Train them, discipline them, and raise them in the admonition and instruction of the Lord. It says here, again, in the admonition. That word means, it means that we are... Uh, the putting in of the mind, it literally is what it means, putting in mind. In other words, that we are helping them develop what is holy and godly in their mindset. We're to make them obey. But don't break them. Don't break them. I love what verse 4 says. Well, I say I love it. It's one of the most challenging verses in all of the Scripture for me. And you fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Literally, don't stir up anger within them. You can correct them, but don't break them. Don't break their spirit. Tony Evans said, we must give them age-appropriate discipline, not in anger, but in love. Discipline isn't the same thing as venting. You don't discipline them because you are angry. You discipline them because of what the Lord has shown us in Scripture and how we are to, how we are to encourage them in the work of the Lord. Now, it could go to fathers and mothers. But here he calls out the fathers. Why? Because I think there's something instinctive in us guys that we can respond in such 
uh, unhealthy ways. That we can be the ones who will stir up the anger within our kids so often. Fathers, in the day of the New Testament, especially there in Ephesus, fathers had a lot of authority and they were not using it appropriately. It's really sad if you go back and read the historical accounts. We're told that even after children were born, dads would decide whether or not they would live. How repugnant. And here Paul writes and he says, You dads, you have authority. There's something in your spirit where you are the one so often that will stir up anger in your kids. He said, you don't do that. You don't provoke your kids. If I had a little more time, I might talk about some of the different ways in which I think we provoke our children. One, is, one could be favoritism, I would just say that. Go back and read the book of Genesis and read the account of the patriarchs and you will find all kinds of issues. Why? Because favoritism pervaded in that family. You and I must be careful. Discouragement, being over-restrictive, don't exasperate your kids. Teach them what is right and what is true, but don't stir up anger in them. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. A general proverb, not a promise, a general truth. That's usually what happens. Train up a child. The word train is a horticultural word. It means it deals with agriculture. So it, it's the idea of taking a plant and being able to bend the plant appropriately so it will grow. You don't want to destroy it. You don't want to break it. You want to, you want to be able to help it grow in the right direction. I don't know. Any of you, any of you ever grow tomatoes? There are two of y'all that do. Anybody else grow tomatoes? I know the two because y'all bring me tomatoes. The rest of you, anyway, it's just a different story. I'll bring back in the summer when tomatoes are on the vine. But I've seen you stick them with a stick or you put some kind of cage around those tomatoes. Why? Because you want them to grow a certain direction. That's the same idea of Proverbs 22. Is that you and I, we help our children grow. We don't break them. You don't break their spirit. You don't break who they are and their personality. You help them grow. And you place these things that will help them grow in their lives. You and I need to be affirming to our kids. Some years ago when I did the study with Robert Lewis, Men's Fraternity, it challenged me. Because what Robert Lewis said is that for us who are dads, we ought to look at the example of the father, the way he related to the son. And practically, he said, think about the moment of transfiguration when the Father speaks out of heaven to Jesus. What does the Father do? What does the Father say? The Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then in the transfiguration moment, he says, hear him. And Robert Lewis suggested there are three things that all of us dads ought to say to our kids, especially our sons. Just as the father spoke into Jesus' life. This is my beloved son. In other words, what am I going to say to my son? I love you. I want you to hear it out of my mouth. I love you. In whom I am well pleased, I want you to know I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Hear him. In other words, he knows what he's talking about. He's good at something. 
and I want to speak into my child's life, you are good at, and then fill in the blank. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're good at. Instead of exasperating them and telling them every issue that they have and how terrible they are at certain things, we ought to be people who are encouraging and training. We ought to make them. We don't want to break them. So listen to this message. How practical is it? And how it could it really revolutionize our families. Children, obey them. Don't dismay them. Parents, make them, but don't break them. How we could take this message. Let me give you this warning, especially to you parents, before we conclude. Written by a commentator who I respect dearly. He said this. Parents who do not fully and tirelessly commit themselves to the godly teaching and training of their children are likely to wake up one day to find their sons and daughters inextricably enmeshed in the ungodly and immoral philosophies and practices of this world. Despite what the world may say, children are to obey and honor their parents. They are not to be liberated from their parents and enabled to choose whatever they want to do and the way they want to do it. It is a warning for all of us. I tell you what, my kids are small still. Well, they're getting a little bit, still somewhat small, young. And every day I'm reminded that they are like an arrow in the hand of the warrior. And for just these moments of their lives, I can aim them. But one day that arrow will fly. And when it flies, I cannot go and grab it again. I can't readjust this trajectory. It must fly. I want to aim them in the best and most holy way that I can. So that when they hit the target, they hit it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Parents, grandparents, would you commit yourself to this today? During this time of commitment, maybe it's a time for you to pray for your children and your grandchildren. Maybe it's a time for you to bow at the altar. Maybe it's a time for you to recommit and say, Lord, I've been lax on this. I've been passive. But God, today, I commit myself to your word, to your call. I'm telling you, God's speaking to us. And he wants to use us and transform our families as we seek him and his word. May we be his people. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you. We praise you. And Lord, we pray for our families. Because to be honest, our families are under attack from demonic forces every day. This world which is ruled by a the prince of the air, which is evil, which comes against us, Lord. There are so many that are seeking to grab our children and to influence them away from the kingdom. But God, today, I pray that you would give us a new zest, a new zeal, a new love for serving you and for directing your children, our children, in the right way. 
God, I pray that you'd look in our families and you would see biblical models, models that do express happiness and holiness. And we pray that we'd be obedient. Even during this moment of commitment. We pray it now. In Jesus' name.